like to invite all of you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 21. There's a correction there. The verses are 5 through 7 we'll be reading today. Revelation 21, verses 5 through 7. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. At this time, our brother Dean Jennings will bring us this morning's message. The great controversy ended, and eternity begins. Good morning, church, and all the good visitors. Dedicate my remarks today to uh, Clark and to Jim Naylor as we plan to see them in the new earth. I invite you to take a trip with me today, back in time, back before uh, the birth of Jesus, before Daniel, before David, before Jacob, back to the time of Abraham. And let us, in our spiritual imagination this morning, go back and visit Brother Lot. Um, In those days, The women seemed to do the work. The men sat at the city gate and did all sorts of communication and talking and deciding things and all sorts of theology, I presume. Lot was sitting at the gate, according to Genesis 19, and he looked off in the distance and he saw two small figures coming towards the city and towards him. And he wondered... Who would be traveling out on that hot, dusty day like he was beginning to notice that they were getting closer and closer? And then he decided, yes, they are, they are people coming this way. They're two men, in fact. So when they got there, as the custom was, Lot would, would bow down before them and say, you know, you must come and stay with us. You must come and stay with us. We're going to wash your feet and we're going to give you something to eat. And so they went to Lot's home and he told his wife to prepare a dinner. And the um, custom continued. Their feet were washed and they fed them dinner. They seemed to be different than other people in that town. There's something about them was just different. They were tall. They were dignified. They at times were strangely silent. And Lot would say um, something and they would have apprehensive glances that would go back and forth. And uh, Lot then decided, you know, these would be wonderful people to join our community and join our town here. And when they were invited to do that, the strangers became strangely silent. Very strangely silent. They were silent for a long time. And finally, one of the men said, God is going to destroy this city tomorrow. And at that point, we can imagine the family all jumping up from the table. What are you talking about? Our city? What are you talking about? Well, how's it going to happen? How's he going to do this? They were quiet. They just said, 
quickly go. By now it was evening, late in the evening, and, and the, the strangers told Lot and his wife, you go tell all your daughters and your sons-in-laws and your sons what's going to happen. You must alert them. You must warn them. Um, so they did so. They went around from house to house of all their loved ones, telling them, two strangers, they woke them up, two strangers have just told us that this city is going to be destroyed tomorrow. You must quickly come and you must flee the city with us. What Lot and his wife heard back was laughter and mocking and the son saying, the city is as safe as it's ever been. Nothing's going to happen to our city. Have you gone off your mind, Father? Have you lost your mind? Don't listen to two strangers. You don't even know who they are. And Lot had asked him, well, where are you from? And they said, well, we're from a city, a very, very far city. Um, by now it was early morning. And before he knew it, Lot and his wife were hesitating, leaving their home and their city, all their possessions. The angels took them by the arm and hurried them away from the city, saying, hurry, hurry, we have to save your lives. So Lot, his wife, and two daughters were taken away by these angels. We know they're angels because the Bible says so, you see. Um, in the commentary, we have these words. As the sun arose for the last time upon the cities of the plain, the people thought to commence another day of godless riots. All were eagerly planning their business or their pleasure, and the messenger of God was derided for his fears and warnings. Suddenly, as the thunder peal from an unclouded sky, balls of fire and brimstone fell from God out of heaven. You know, this could be termed God's strange act, couldn't it? Just as the way the second coming of Christ would be considered God's strange act. It isn't like Jesus to do something like this. We must remember, as we studied this morning, God is in charge of everything. He's in charge of everything. He has all power, all knowledge. Let's review those just briefly. In Job, we have these words. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? <laughs> Pharaoh knew something about hailstones, didn't he? From Psalms 18, we have these words. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky, out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. Bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. Great bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath from your nostrils. We have more. Suddenly in an instant, the Lord Almighty will come with thunder and earthquake, a great noise with windstorm and tempest and flames of a devouring fire. Our God has that kind of power. This morning we're going to focus in for a few moments on the wonders of the second coming of our King Jesus. Recently I was walking along the ocean and the, cloud, the sky was clouded. 
But up ahead I saw and I, I, I looked with amazement at, it was gray clouds all around, but right in the center of that was a, a brilliant light, it was just a, an opening. And I thought to myself, could it be? Could this be the second coming of Jesus? Remember, there's a verse in the Bible that says, unless I cut short those days, no flesh will be saved. You know, we have charts and we have all sorts of things we've heard from ever. Could it be that the God of heaven will cut things short? Remember he said it'll be as a thief in the night. Something to ponder and think about. One day soon, the greatest event in the history will come to us. King Jesus will hear his father say, Son, this is the day. It is time. Earth's time has ended. Let us bring the redeemed ones to us. Let us go down and bring them up to their real home to be with you and I. Go summon the angels. Tell them the day has come. Tell them it's time to start our journey. And we're told in scripture all heaven will be silent at that time because the angels are gone. They're coming down through space with King Jesus. Down through space, perhaps through Orion's opening. That's what we believe. Jesus starts toward the earth with untold millions of angels. No longer a baby in a stable in his mother's arm. No longer a baby in his mother's arms riding a donkey into the land of Egypt. No longer a 12-year-old boy telling the theologians of his day all about salvation. And those theologians had their mouths gaping open. How could this boy know this much? No longer on a cross with the earth below soaking up his blood. Now he comes down through space with countless angels to awaken the dead who've gone to their rest, but who have loved him. He welcomes the living who trust and love him to bring them to eternity, bringing an invitation to his great banquet feast of all time from Revelation 17, we read about it, as portrayed in the Revelation book, to serve us fruit from the tree of life where we will eat so many heavenly wonders. Those who were mainly responsible for his death on the cross, we are told, they will be raised in the second resurrection. You know, there are some people that will die three times, like Pilate and Herod, the man who smote him on his face, perhaps the soldiers that spiked the nails through his hands and feet. They'll be raised, according to the Bible, to see Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. So they'll die that time. They'll be raised again at the second coming and die. They'll be raised at the end of the thousand years and they will die again. An amazing legacy, isn't it? An amazing legacy. Their knees knocking together, those that spit on him and smote him. And suddenly when they come from their dusty beds, they'll realize, oh, we were on the wrong side. After his mighty resurrection, he met with his disciples outside the city of Jerusalem. And Dr. Luke tells us in Luke 24, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And he was parted from them, carried up into heaven. Gravity has no power on the mighty God. And Jesus had been with mankind in our world for 33 years. He had been scorned, insulted, persecuted, rejected, threatened with death, hung on a cross and died. But then he was resurrected. What were his last thoughts to his disciples and the world and to you and I this day? What were they? Were they thoughts of condemnation and judgment? No, no, no. 
They were words of comfort, wonderful words of comfort reported, recorded in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Scripture is clear through the Holy Spirit which he sent. He never left this world. He will never leave it as long as his people who love him are here and want to go to his heaven. Now we come to one of the most strangest questions in all the Bible. Dr. Luke records it in Acts 1, 9 to 11. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, you know, there were over 500 people there watching this. Remember the scriptures in Acts tell us that. He was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And behold, two men stood beside them in white peril, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. What a question. Why are you gazing up at Jesus rising into the sky? Gravity has no power. <laughs> the angels are asking an interesting, amusing question. <laughs> Why would disciples be amazed to see a man suddenly start rising off the earth? <laughs> so we're going to talk about some wonders, the wonders of the second coming briefly. The, wonders, the first wonder is lightning. The glory of Jesus' return to earth is an event that we cannot even imagine. Matthew 16 tells us, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father and all the angels. Jesus will come in the clouds with his glory, his Father's glory and the angels' glory. For Matthew 25 tells us, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all the holy angels with him, he shall sit on the throne of his glory. We cannot even imagine that. The threefold glory is again prophesied in Luke 9. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and his Father in the holy angels' glory. We need to focus on that word, my friends. If we're ashamed of Jesus here, now, Jesus will be ashamed of us when he comes in the clouds of heaven. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he should come in his own glory. The glory will transcend anything that man has ever witnessed. For Matthew again says, All the nations of the earth will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky. And behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him. Have you pondered that? The earth is round. It's a globe. We've flown around it sometimes. Um, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. No funny rapture here. <laughs> Brighter than the brightest flash man has ever seen, and it will continue as Jesus rides down through the skies. How about the glory of the angels coming with Jesus? Well, when one angel rolled away the stone from the tomb, the tomb of Jesus, his brightness caused the Roman guard soldiers to fall down as dead men. That's just one angel, my friends. The glory of one angel could cause the Roman soldiers to fall down as dead men and shake the earth with a mighty earthquake. Just imagine what millions of angels can do when Jesus comes in the clouds. Jesus' own words recorded in Matthew 24 as follows, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. 
Jesus warns, Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. We've been told, my friends, that Satan will impersonate the second coming of Christ. And he will come down as a dazzling being and walk on this earth. Jesus warns us in his own words, don't go there. Don't go out there because it's not me. No one can miss this event. Glory beyond glory, beyond glory. And lightning as man has never seen on the face of this earth. The second wonder is sound. So we have the greatest light show on earth of all time. But that is not all. There will also be the greatest trumpet sounds of all time. It will be the very, very, very noisy at that time. It'll be so noisy that God will wake the dead who sleep in him. Matthew 24, and he shall send his angels with the great shout of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from one end, the four winds of one end of the heaven to the other. And Paul adds more in 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh, my friends, don't you want that day to come? So Jesus himself shouts and plays on a trumpet. Can you imagine? <laughs> the entire universe will hear it. Certainly every man, woman, and child on earth will hear it. The greatest lightning and thunder show of all time. The glory of the lightning and the trumpet show no limits. But there is much more, for John in Revelation tells us these words. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And we interpret that to be Jesus himself. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horse, horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he that hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Did you miss it in the middle of that text? On his vesture, meaning his clothing, his robe, it says it was dipped in blood. My friend, that suggests to me that Jesus will wear a robe throughout eternity that has red on it, signifying the blood he shed for us. Not only the palms of his hands, who we see, and his feet, perhaps even the thorn marks on his brow, but his robe will be dipped in blood. Next, John records the invitation to the redeemed to come to the great supper in heaven, Revelation 19. Jesus no longer is a helpless babe, but he's come down through space to planet Earth to take his loved ones home with him forever. Then there's a mighty earthquake, the third wonder, a mighty earthquake. Everyone will feel his coming. Earthquakes are frightening things. I well remember when I was a boy, I was sick. I had to stay home. It was in Longview, Washington. I'll never forget this. It's in my mind today as clear as I looked out that window then. I actually saw the cement sidewalk by my house, heave up and down. 
I couldn't believe cement could heave up a foot, foot and a half, but it did. I saw it. And that earthquake was frightening. It's nothing like the earthquake we're going to experience when Jesus comes. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a mighty earthquake according to Scripture. When the angel rolled away the stone, there was another mighty earthquake according to the Scripture. That was just one angel, as we have said. When the angel came down to let Peter out of prison, as recorded in the book of Acts, there was a mighty earthquake that opened the prison doors. This time is above all previous earthquakes, however. Let us listen in on John writing in Revelation 16, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty and so great, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Suddenly there's a mountain. Suddenly there's no mountain. No one will miss this earthquake. The earth is not stable, my friends. It will be shaking violently. How can it be that Jesus said to us, be not afraid? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he said, peace be unto you. How can he say that to us? And comfort one another. And I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. My friends, the way we go through that is to hang on to those words of Jesus. That's how we do it. And Isaiah says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord, how long? Forever. For in the Lord, Jehovah is everlasting strength. He's in control. And wilt thou keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee? Trust ye in the Lord forever. The Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. If we really know him, if we really know him, we will not be afraid. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will not be afraid. This is one earthquake we can rejoice about, not be afraid about. Our Savior has come to take us home to our real home. You realize we're just strangers passing through this land, you see on our way to the kingdom of God. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. And to his disciples in John six forty four, he said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him in the last day. It seems to me that a thousand sermons on judgment and on the horrors of the wicked will not really draw somebody from the heart to Christ. It's the cross of Christ. It's his salvation that draws people. Anxiety, pain, and death gone forever. Instead, peace, joy, goodness, faith, and meekness forever. The dark night of sin is gone, my friends. And we will hear the greatest story ever told. The story of redemption from Jesus' own lips. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine those announcements that will come in heaven? They're announcing Friday evening vespers. Today we will hear the same angel choir that sang to the shepherds over the town of Jerusalem that night when Jesus was born. I wonder if there'll be encores. I'm wondering if it'll be an hour long, two hours, three hours. <laughs> Later, another announcement. 
Jesus will be the featured speaker for church this coming Sabbath, and he will explain how he created the earth, and he will explain about salvation, and he will explain how the Godhead decided in eternity past, if there should be sin that would arise, how they would come to save you and I. A tourist came to a beautiful villa on the shores of a lovely lake in Switzerland. Far off the beaten path, he knocked at the garden gate and was admitted by an aged caretaker who had been caring for this land for many years. He was so glad to see him because not many people showed up. He showed him around the flower-bordered walks and they were absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. It looks like a king's palace. How long have you been here, asked the stranger. I've been here for 24 years, he said. From where do you receive your pay? From an agent on the mainland. Well, I suppose the owner comes often, he said. No, he hasn't been here for 12 years. Well, who does come then? Well, occasional tourists like you. I'm almost always alone. Only does a, seldom does a visitor drop in. Yet you have the garden in perfect order. Everything is flourishing as if you expected your master to come tomorrow. Oh no, he said, today. Today, exclaimed the old man. So let us review. The greatest event in history is the second coming of Jesus. Next to the cross, it's equal. There will be the glory of millions of angels surrounding Jesus as he rides down through the skies. He will shine brighter than the sun and every eye will see him. This is the first wonder. The second wonder, the greatest trumpet show of all time, and Jesus and the angels announcing the greatest event in history. No one will miss it. You cannot hide behind a rock or in a cave. It will reach you there. Everyone will hear it. The third wonder, everyone will feel the greatest work earthquake of all time. The creation recognizes its creator. Everyone will feel it. The fourth wonder, the dead in Christ shall rise. We remember that we are his by right of his creation of us. We remember that we are also his by the fact that he redeemed us. We can have faith that the dead will rise because Jesus rose on resurrection morning. And that gives us the assurance that we will rise too should we go to sleep in Jesus before he comes. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The next words, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What we need in this church today is comfort. Paul has told us how to have comfort here. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. The truth is this. Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven, and it will happen. Jesus said his words will never fail. The same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Scripture. If we are afraid of the second coming, it will still happen. If we don't want it to happen, it will still happen. 
If I rejoice for it to happen, it will happen. If I'm a soldier in a foxhole, it will happen. If I'm the greatest general of all time, commanding the mightiest army on earth, it will still happen. The general could not prevent it. The plotting of the greatest politicians of all time could not prevent it. The mightiest weapon man could make will not prevent it from happening. Jesus said before he died, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus must reign. His victory is sure and inevitable. The gates of hell cannot keep the man of Calvary from returning to earth in glory and power to claim his redeemed ones, to establish his kingdom of righteousness. Revelation 11 says it, he shall reign forever and ever. How can we be sure? How can we be sure to be waiting for Jesus' return, ready to go with him? Like that old Swiss gardener who said, no, not tomorrow, my master might come today. This church is well aware of it at this time, is it not? The only way I know we can be ready is to infuse our minds with the Holy Scriptures, to often read and repeat the words of that blessed hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a gift far too small. A love so amazing, so love divine. It demands my soul, my life, and my all. It's only by the grace of God that I'll be there. It's only by the grace of God that you'll be there. I would like to, in closing, just ignore my notes that I had and I just want to take the Bible and read some things from the Bible as we close. And here's the words that we referenced earlier from Revelation 19, verse 13, about Jesus wearing a robe dipped in blood to remind us throughout eternity of what he did for us. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in the fine linen, white and clean. And verse, chapter 20 from Revelation, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the Word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So the second coming has occurred. We've gone to heaven through the gates of the New Jerusalem. We see our first glimpse of the tree of life. My friends, have you thought about it? Your first glimpse of that tree of life, your first glimpse of Jesus, your first glimpse of the sea of glass, the crystal sea, your first glimpse of the apostles, oh my, I want to be there. And during the thousand years, the Bible tells us 
Don't you know that you'll judge angels? Isn't that amazing? You'll sit in judgment on the third of the angels that fell from the paradise of God. God wants to be sure that everybody is satisfied that he is just. He must be sure. He must be. Because the Bible tells us sin will not rise a second time. And that's how it occurs. The thousand years when all the redeemed are satisfied beyond any doubt. In case one of their loved ones is not there. They have to be satisfied. God was just. And you do know that there are three places in the Bible. Let me just mention that at this time. There are three places in the Bible where it says every knee will bow after the thousand years when the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven to recreate this earth. Every knee will bow. If you want those verses, it is Isaiah 45, 23. It is Romans 14, 11. Philippians 2.10. Isaiah 45, 23, Romans 14, 11, and Philippians 2, 10. Those verses clearly say that every knee will bow at the end of the thousand years, and that means Satan himself, my friends. Every knee means every knee. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on the... Such the second death hath no power. When we're redeemed, when Christ comes, death has no power over us forever and ever. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and go out and try to deceive the nations. At that point, all the wicked that have been sleeping are raised. And Pilate and Herod are raised again. Then we're going to close with these words from Revelation 21. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine on it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which were saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. Verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it. And there shall be no, in no wise enter anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it and on either side of it was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month for the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Have you ever imagined yourself in your spiritual imagination walking up to the tree of life and plucking fruit? <laughs> Perhaps a, a peach. You know, H.M.S. Richards had this very humorous thing he, I, I've heard him say. No. He said there's nothing better than a, a ripe peach right off the tree in an orchard. But he said there's one thing better. That's the second one. <laughs> in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare 
12 manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit for the, every month, every month a new fruit. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Imagine seeing Jesus all the time, being able to talk to him. Oh my. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord of God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. And he, shall, and he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. My friends, if you doubt what we've said this morning, read it every day you get up. These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Amen and amen. Oh Lord, eternal Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's almost persuaded, may that person leave here persuaded. God, we just cannot imagine you saving a sinner like me. But you've promised if I confess my sins and fall on my knees, you will bless me and you will save me forever. May that be the experience of each one here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.